The following podcast contains mature language and spoilers. Listener discretion is advised. At first, there was no such thing as the DC Universe. It was just a collection of comic strips. Two things changed that. One is World's Finest Comics, which featured Superman, Batman, and Robin on most covers. They didn't actually interact in stories that often, at least in the early days, but the implication from the cover was that these guys all exist in the same sphere. And it's not like other comic companies didn't also do covers that mash up a bunch of characters that were in the book, but they didn't often interact in the same image. Marvel did a lot like that, though. Um, Obviously, they really were the originators of what we consider to be a shared comic book universe at this point. But often, especially in the early days, they'd throw a bunch of characters on the cover that were in the same space but weren't actually going to be in a story together. The real game changer was All-Star Comics, the introduction of the Justice Society of America. And it's worth noting that All-Star Comics was by All-American, which was a separate but related entity to national periodical publications that had Superman and Batman and Robin. That's why you didn't see those guys that often relating to the Justice Society of America, although it did happen, and that's part of where you have the proto-DC universe, although again, it was such a rarity for those characters to interact in the early days outside of the Justice Society of America. They calling it a universe is really an overstatement, but in hindsight, all that material got considered the golden age of comics. Eventually, you have the Silver Age of comics, which by most standards began with Julie Schwartz deciding to come up with a new version of The Flash for the then-modern times of the 1950s after superheroes had gone bust. Jay Garrick sucks. Without putting more effort than I have any intention of doing for this podcast, especially as I am fueled by Wild Irish Rose, whatever encounters I had with Jay Garrick prior to investing in the DC Universe after Zero Hour, I thought he fucking sucked. I thought his costume was shit, and he wore a fucking pen on his head. If you're the Greek god Mercury, and you want to wear a fucking pen on your head, Fine. Guess what? You're a god. I'll go with it. I myself am not a god. Most superheroes are not gods. So that's your established thousand-year-old continuity, courtesy of the Greeks and or the Romans. Because again, I'm not checking to see which one it was, because Wild Eyes Rose. That is the sole circumstance under which wearing a pan on your head will be acceptable. Post-crisis, the DC editorial triumvirate sent the Justice Society of America to Lambo. Although really, if you read the book, they sent them to Ragnarok. Doesn't matter where they went. The goal was, take the funky old motherfuckers off the board. We're going to focus on the Green Lanterns and the Flashes and so on that modern fans are capable of giving a fuck about. I have read enough stories about Jake Garrick. Maybe he had one in Jules Pfeiffer's The Great Comic Book Heroes. Maybe I read my brother's copies of the Lynn Strasuzki Tom Lyle Lamoid early 90s miniseries. Maybe I saw Panhead Kitchen Utensil Jay Garrick in the Mike Perovec planned for an ongoing series before DC Comics decided let's not slit our own throats with this out of fucking date hardcore as a child of the 90s within the chromium age i don't give a fuck about your weird 
colander wearing motherfucking Jay Eric. But I'll tell you when I became a fan of Jay Eric to the degree that you could call me a fan. I picked up some of James Robinson and I suppose, but I can't say for certain, Tyler Harris's times past issues of Starman. There was a time between the majority of the Starman series and the retroactively Elseworld, the Golden Age miniseries, that James Robinson was one of the primary architects of the DC Universe. And via this time's past, James Robinson offered a story that made Alan Scott, Jay Garrick, Jay Garrick and uh, I suppose some other Justice Societal some modern relevance. Because there was one story, so if you're not familiar with Starman, times past was instances where James Robinson decided he wanted to do a flashback story that took place in an era, not the Chromium Age, to drill down into the Starman concept and more broadly, DC's Justice Society of America and Golden Age. And an early example of these times past was a story in which Ragdoll, a Golden Age villain, was converted into calling shenanigans Marvel Scarecrow. He's a contortionist and a serial killer. There are dudes like the Joker who can claim to have been serial killers from Jump. But generally speaking, your ragdolls are going to be retcons. This one issue of Starman put forth the proposition that the core Justice Society members had captured ragdoll. Some sort of power outage had blacked out the area in which they were operating and presumably one of the Justice Society members had marked that motherfucker. And look, it's established that I'm something of a bleeding heart liberal, but I'm also of the opinion that people like Ted Bundy or Charlie Manson serve as super duper negative role models and I'm frankly disappointed that these awful shits have not been put down by the state. And I understand people that do not want the state to engage in executions. This is validated by stuff like people who were convicted prior to extraordinary leaps in forensic medicine, later proving to be absolutely, by all modern scientific measures, totally innocent and typically sent to the river because, oops, your skin is darker. I totally get hesitation about killing people at the state level. That said, if you go back to the original Hebrew Bible, recognizing that transliterations of that Bible require you to put vowels in place where there were no vowels before, looking at the Judeo-Christian, arguably Muslim, Ten Commandments prohibit, based on the Hebrew, murder as opposed to killing. There are instances where you can kill somebody. Pretty much everybody's going to be like, thumbs up, like, subscribe. And when you've got a dead bang admitted serial killer, as in the case of Ragdoll in this James Robinson story, you have a moral obligation to, like Atticus Finch, in To Kill a Mockingbird, when he takes a rifle and guns down a rabid dog, you have to sometimes end a person. I do not believe that killing is any sort of absolute concern. In a situation like the one presented in this time's past, I respect and approve of the killing of a ragdoll. 
the new Flash relegated the stories of the old Flash to comic books within Barry Allen's universe. And that's where you have the point of demarcation between the Golden Age DC Comics, a.k.a. the adventures that took place on Earth 2 and the adventures that took place on Earth 1 with Barry Allen, followed by Hal Jordan, Ray Palmer, Katar Hall as opposed to Carter Hall, so on and so forth. But there were a bunch of old school fans, guys like Roy Thomas and Jerry Bells, that insisted on addressing the Golden Age stories as uh, having more weight than they were given by Julius Schwartz when he was doing his reboots. And so that's how you ended up having Earth 2 and Earth 1 interacting with one another. And one of the things that's kind of unique about DC Comics, what eventually became known as DC Comics anyway, is that they are a patchwork universe from the very beginning. There was never one single isolated entity that was DC Comics. It was always, here's National Periodical, here's All-American. There are limited rights afforded to Siegel and Schuster. There's a greater expansive rights afforded to Bob Kane, rights afforded to William Moulton Marston, the creator of Wonder Woman. So even though they're within certain universes, they're not fully absorbed into those universes. You've got Quality, who at the end of their life were still publishing Plastic Man and Blackhawk, more or less. Plastic Man died out a little early. DC buys them. They have the rights to those characters. They don't exploit those rights for a long time, with the exception of Blackhawk. But they have one continuity that exists that DC owns outright, and then there's more continuity that that material wasn't published. It exists, it's in print, but it entered the public domain. And so to some degree, Quality owned it, to some degree, DC owned it, and to some degree, we all own it because it's out of copyright. Good luck publishing a Plastic Man comic book, though. Eventually, too late, DC decides to exploit that copyright, those trademarks, and that's where you get Earth X. DC runs Fawcett out of the comic book industry. There's still a lot of nostalgia for Captain Marvel and the Marvel family. DC eventually licensed the rights to the Fawcett properties, at least uh, the, the core ones, in the 1970s. They don't buy them outright until I think the late 80s, early 90s. So that all ends up on Earth S. All these Earths, it gets pretty confusing. Eventually, you need a crisis on Infinite Earths. What that does is it takes all these wackadoo DC properties that are no longer appealing to the modern, overly self-serious fanboy with their dense continuities. The fact that uh, these guys were following Marvel and treating Marvel as though every story that they produced really from the early 60s when the Fantastic Four debuted. But as far as they're concerned, the 40 stuff counted too. Trust me, it doesn't. But as far as they're concerned, it counted. And so they think that you could have this reliable, ironclad facsimile of a ongoing continuity for decades at that point around a quarter century and those fanboys expect the same sort of thing from DC and DC was never designed to be one continuity how do you have a continuity in a universe that has a Superman in it who can push planets around why would this guy be hanging out with say rich boy who can shoot fancy arrows but whatever fuck it they geld Superman to make him fit into the Ollie Queen verse and it's all a facsimile of the Marvel Universe and that's where you get the post-crisis continuity the single biggest shakeup of DC continuity ever. But that having been said, most of Aquaman's continuity is still in place. Same goes for Green Lantern. A fair amount of Batman's material, at least from the 70s up. All the Flash shit's still in there. So it's a reboot, but it's not a reboot because a lot of that material stays in place. Superman, by and large, ground zero. Or rather, you've got the Man of Steel miniseries that kind of catches you up. Here's your early day stuff. Here's a bunch of other miniseries. World of Krypton, World of Smallville, World of Metropolis. Um, but more or less, Superman is new to readers and you get a miniseries several miniseries to reintroduce you and get you oriented to the new incarnation of Superman defined by John Byrne who is essentially the Christopher Reeve Superman but way less powerful and sweaty I remember news articles on the um, TV where they were talking about Superman one of the things they liked to focus on was that Superman 
Batman could get sweaty now. Wonder Woman Ground Zero. Wonder Woman number one tells you the whole history of the Amazons for the most part and then starts you on the stories of Wonder Woman from when she first takes up that title. And she's introduced in the Legends miniseries, which is set in the then contemporary 1986. And so you've not missed anything with Wonder Woman for the most part. You're getting on the ground floor with her. Later on, a chunk of Aquaman stuff gets tossed out, but the majority stays in place. We don't even want to deal with fucking Hawkman right now. Just forget Hawkman exists for the moment. So the post-crisis DC universe is a melange. There's elements of pre-crisis continuity, but a lot of the big guys like Superman, it's entirely a new scene. For me, Batwoman is definitely a casualty of when I started reading comics because I was only maybe at most vaguely aware of the existence of a Batwoman as when I was growing up because there was no representation for this character at that time. I bought a back issue of, I think, a Detective Comics. I think it was a 100-page giant that featured Bronze Tiger murdering the woman who used to be Batwoman. It was a 70s issue. He stabs her at a circus. And so for me, she was always this sort of sacrificial lamb. I always felt bad that that was Bronze Tiger who got hung on that stuff. Um it's just not fair that uh, you've got one of the greatest martial artists in the world and he's stuck with this shitty backstory where he murdered this white chick. Uh, of course, later on, Grant Morrison retconned all that stuff, but it was at a time where I had absolutely zero interest in reading anything Batman related. So I didn't read any of that stuff. I haven't read any of the uh, more modern stuff where she's a lesbian with very fair skin. I wasn't even aware that they brought Kathy Kane back and tied her into all that spiral Leviathan stuff that Grant Morrison was doing before we started doing Who's Editing. And then I actually took her backstory and gave it to White Canary only to find out that she was still around and maybe wanted that stuff for herself. I don't know what to do to the Batwoman because it's part of the 50s Batman lore. Virtually nobody cares about 50s Batman. Even I, as something of an originalist, something of a continuityist, like to try to get as much of the backstory of each individual character into the current canon as possible. But uh, the 50s Batman stuff just sucked. It just didn't work for that character. I don't want to see Batman fighting aliens and stuff and I don't care about there being this version of Batwoman and, and another version of Batgirl running around. Perfectly happy with with Barbara Gordon. I'm glad that the TV show is getting representation through the recasting since the original actress decided to leave. You know, I, I wish them the best of luck. I don't watch any of the CW shows. I didn't even finish Supergirl because it's, they're just so badly written that I, I can't tolerate them. Not the best acting either, I'm going to be honest with you. Um, so I'm, I'm not going to show up for any version of Batwoman. I've never seen her in live action aside from uh, the episodes of the Crisis crossover that I, I watched that I was so beguiled by that I didn't even bother to come back and finish it after the, you know, I guess this was a winter solstice wherever the fuck uh, for some reason they, they do a crossover and they decided to have the final part like a month after yeah, I think it ended in December they were supposed to pick it up in January and I just did, I didn't care that was definitely not a cliffhanger for me I maybe one of these days but point being is Batwoman I don't know I don't. I got no use for her honestly I'm, I'm glad that there are people who have a use for her I'm glad that they're they're using her as a character for inclusion I just don't care though because it's, it's a Batman family thing at a time where I just I have no use for anything related to the Batman family anymore I'm just past that point in my life sorry <laughs> Which gets me to uh, the Batman. Now, I gotta tell you, like most people, I grew up on Batman. Batman is one of your gateway superheroes. Batman is a super friend. Batman teamed up repeatedly with Scooby-Doo and the Scooby-Doo gang. Batman is a star of multiple animated series, multi-motion pictures, multi-toy lines, multi-video games. However you are introduced to the Batman, the Batman is your ground level superhero stuff. And 
and you probably like superhero stuff if you're listening to an inane, basic, weird, tangential podcast like this. You're probably down, bro. And or gal, ma'am, gender non-specific identifier. But here's the deal, yo. When I was a kid, I knew of people like, I think his name is Damian Dark or Adam West, who were my Batmanses. I grew up on guys like Danny O'Neill and Mike W. Barr, who wrote Batman as some sort of eccentric variation on a James Bond archetype. But thankfully, way less uh, misogynistic. I read Dark Knight Returns and Year One as a, at a formative age. Was the fucking shit. There's been this weird, not even a backlash, but a um, decertification of Dark Knight Returns over the years by modern audiences who are concerned about the perspective and implications of the Dark Knight Returns as opposed to Batman Year One, which is uh, more apolitical. It's basically anti-corruption, which could apply to virtually any political stripe. I can't say that I've read Dark Knight in the past decade or so, but I've read Dark Knight multiple times over the years. And I gotta tell you, Dark Knight is one of the most essential works in all of comic book production. The Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen, especially as a combination in the mid-80s, convinced a substantial portion of the population. Um, It convinced people that comic books were worth shit. That they were not the purview of the intellectually stunted. While I haven't read The Dark Knight Returns in a while, I still feel fairly confident that it rocks. The Dark Knight Returns is about a Batman who has failed. His potential lady love and sometimes confederate and crime busting becomes a Yahooer, or in more politically correct terms, becomes the manager of sex workers at an advanced age in which she herself is not especially desirable as a sex worker. The Dark Knight Returns is a story about how, despite Batman's best efforts, Harvey Dent will always be fucked in the brain. Superman being compromised and Batman doing his best to point out that he's compromised while essentially having to fake his own death because otherwise Superman will demolish him because he manages to get a few punches in enabled by Kryptonite. A bunch of shithead fanboys will assume that Batman under the right circumstances could totally take Superman. That is not the case. You stupid. You dumb. You don't know how shit works. Superman can push planets. Superman is inconvenienced by your kryptonite mist. Superman will ultimately own your shit. Deal. But because it seemed to be cool that one time that Batman made Superman bleed in the nomenclature of the Zack Snyder's of the world, stupid motherfuckers think that Batman could in any way demolish the Man of Steel. Nah, dog. What part of Superman does your sub-moronic think organ not comprendo? So yeah, I dug The Dark Knight Returns and I dug Batman Year One. But Dark Knight Returns especially is about a Batman that fails. It's about Batman retiring, recognizing that he had underperformed, having a last hurrah, and then turning the whole game over to a younger generation. Guiding them, training them, perhaps leading them, but recognizing that he was a broken old man who needed to get the fuck out of the way, which would clearly not the template for further Batman adventures, especially with regard to the Joker, because one of the key episodes of The Dark Knight Returns is Batman having a final confrontation with the Joker, having failed repeatedly, having allowed the Joker to create a 
circumstance in which he could once again murder hundreds of people, ultimately, basically, because Batman couldn't get his fucking shit together. Because DC did not want the Batman to kill the Joker. I think Bator was originated in the Garth Ennis John McRae run. He has an entry in the DC Comics Encyclopedia. I like Master Bator. Master Bator is cool. <laughs> Burn to Death is probably my second favorite Four Tops song after Standing in the Shadows of Love. Burn to Death! There is a lot of fan art for Big Barda. Uh, one of the reasons why I did a series with Barda as part of Siskoid's project is because there's just so much fan art for Barda. I'm sure some of its kinky fetish stuff but I think there's just a real groundswell of interest in this character she's appealing to a lot of people I think she's more appealing than most of the new gods in fact I, I haven't checked yet I haven't had to run a search on Orion yet because we haven't made that far into that project but I, I really got the gut feeling I'm going to find more Barda fan art out there and you know commissions I should point out too people are willing to pay for Barda art I think I'm going to find more of those than I am for Orion I, I think the Barda is just a more popular character and I think one of the downfalls of new gods trying to sell new gods to my modern audiences is that the lead characters are like Orion and Light Ray and Mr. Miracle and I, I just don't think that's where the action's at. I think that um, you've got a, this fan swell for Barda. Do more stuff with Barda then because I don't think Orion's going to carry you over the finish line. They're going to make a movie of New Gods supposedly eventually. I, I'm not sure if Orion's the guy who's going to do that for you. I definitely don't think Orion's going to do that for you if they hire another white dude. If, you, if they don't do some sort of a race swap or gender swap with Orion, I think that shit's going to be fucking DOA or at least him as a character that crosses over because he is not an appealing character to most people. He is a, a very aggressive and somewhat off-putting character. And what does he add to the culture? Do we need another angry white dude out there? I don't think so. Uh, even Bart is kind of an angry white chick, but that's something. You know, I, I think maybe hang on to that. Personally, I would race swap Barda. I think it'd be way cooler to have her be, given that Ava DuVernay is going to be doing the book, a movie, I should say. You should probably have some more black actors in the mix, or, or at least actors of color in the mix. And I don't see any real good reason why Barda couldn't be that. I don't think there's going to be this huge backlash if we decided to, to race swap her. But regardless, even if she's a white chick, at least make a character that might go over with people, give her more to do. Probably want to pull back on what you do with Orion. Admittedly, even going back to the Golden Age, the Joker murdered without remorse, without hesitation, bountiful victims. The problem is, the Joker is a scrawny little pussy. He has some intellect, and he has a unique ability to formulate chaos that allows Joker to stymie the Batman for periods of time. But the problem is, the Joker, in escalating his formidability for then modern audiences and up to current audiences was required to kill enormous sums of people to establish himself as a significant threat to the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight under the editorial stewardship of Denny O'Neill had decided the Batman cannot kill anyone because he himself is a sufferer of enormous psychological disorders and should he kill anyone 
he would collapse into himself or go mad or commit suicide or I don't fucking know. Given my druther, if the death of a Batman also meant the ultimate resolution of a mass murderer like the Joker, the Batman can die. Because the Batman is not an effectual source in helping with a myriad number of sufferers of various psychological disorders that compel them to do criminally awful things. But the Joker, being the worst of them, being the most murderous of them, needs to be taken out by an Atticus Finch for the greater good. And various stories have established that Bruce Wayne in his Halloween costume will not do that. And Jim Gordon in his role as a police officer, captain, commissioner, what have you, even following the murder of his own wife will not definitively end the threat of the Joker. <sighs> even within a story in which Greg Rucka fucking plagiarizes the movie 7. How do I continue to respect people like Batman and Jim Gordon? I don't think I can. So we go back to Jake Eric and Alan Scott and whoever else was present during the warranted extrajudicial execution of Ragdoll. Despite the colander on Jake Garrick's dumb fucking head, I ultimately have to respect Jake Garrick, Alice Scott, and whoever else was there. I want to say Wildcat Ted Grant, but I can't say for sure. I'd have to go look at him. I have to hold them in higher regard than Bruce Wayne. Because Bruce Kent Wayne ultimately ain't worth a shit. Because nobody comes out of Arkham Asylum fucking cured. And every time they get loose and they kill innocent people, who I'll admit are non-entities in the greater scheme of detective comics, Batman comics, whatever spinoff series he has. Regardless, philosophically, Bruce Wayne falters where Jay Garrick performs his necessary action. Regardless of any conscience, regardless of cold sweats in the night, regardless of equivocation at whether or not choices made were correct. Ultimately, a dead ragdoll doesn't hurt another human soul. And as a result, the burden upon the conscience and the ethics and the morality of individuals like Jake Garrick and Alan Scott outweigh the burden put upon someone like a Bruce Wayne. And frankly, this sacrifice makes these people effectively greater heroes than they were before because they chose a course of action that was irrefutably beneficial to society and that a moral coward like Bruce Wayne will not take out a mass murderer of men, women, and children like the Joker effectively make an iconic, world-renowned superhero like the Batman lesser than a dumb motherfucker would wear a strainer on his pinhead. So when Batman comes up, I struggle with doing anything with him because of all these ethical and moral quandaries that come up. But also, the fact that he's just a toxic, abusive individual. Since the Batman editorial group and writers group, Denny O'Neill, looked at the type of material that people like Frank Miller were producing, they came to the conclusion that Batman would have to be an emotionally abusive individual, someone who would not accept alternative viewpoints, someone so egocentric that they would assume that any conclusion they came to was definitive and irrefutable, and someone who would not end threats like the Joker. So, on an ethical, moral 
scale, I have to absolve myself of any fandom of the Batman, regardless of how I grew up, regardless of how many stories I read about that character that were awesome or formative or informative of my own ethics and morals. So I can make an argument, a philosophical argument against continuing to support the Batman, uh, something I have not really done much of since the mid-90s. But frankly, there's a more individual and specific reason why more or less I abandoned buying Batman comics by the mid-90s. And the simple reason is he sucks. He's boring. He's a dud. I cannot look to a person with that many neuroses, that abusive to his supporting cast, his friends, his family. He just doesn't turn me on. He's just not that interesting. He's a bore. He's emotionally stunted. Where does the Batman go from here? Can't get married. Can't have a kid. He can't raise that kid in a healthy environment. He can't address the Gotham City rogues and the Arkham Asylum inmates in a way that's mature and reflecting the greater good. He is kind of a bitch. He's kind of a puss. He's kind of a impotent, neurotic, lame He lacks charisma. He lacks personality. He lacks a funny bone. He's not cool. He's a nut job who dresses up as a bat and pisses everybody off and thinks he's better than everybody else and pushes everybody away and really doesn't offer a lot in the way of entertainment. If you go back to the old uh, Warner Brothers Batman movies of the 80s and 90s, I watched those movies more and a lot, more than more often than not, for the villains. I watched those movies for the stunt casting. In the 2000s with Christopher Nolan, they were movies of greater artistic integrity. I thoroughly enjoy The Dark Knight, despite not particularly caring for Keith Ellinger's imp- interpretation of the Joker. Really not caring despite having been rooked by American Psycho supporting the Christian Bale interpretation of the Batman. Yours are too short. You look like a Doberman and your voice is stupid. And uh, really, outside of playing Patrick Bateman, who has a strongly affected accent, you really can't do American accents. So yeah, Christopher Nolan movies, with the exception of The Dark Knight, extremely overrated. Generally speaking, he's just not fun to spend time with and I don't desire his company. Also, I have to point out that he's such a joyless shit heel and uh, has politics that are so inscrutable and potentially objectionable that I, as a person who can watch a Zack Snyder movie and do my best to enjoy it, but not really see that the, this is a person who can heroic ideals effectively, a person who seems, based on their output, incapable of embracing an altruistic, a purely altruistic uh, perspective, Batman is perhaps the Zack Snyderist of superheroes. The general audience has rejected Snyderesque superheroes. And where the Snyder approach doesn't seem particularly adept in representing classical heroes like a Superman, a Wonder Woman, a Green Lantern, a Flash, yada yada. Zack Snyder isn't really that far from the Batman. His ideology is unappealing. Yeah. <laughs>